creates an idea pool for testing 2020. So how do we make the COVID testing work better? They use the technology to extend out beyond the traditional group of scientific experts that they would talk to. So to put the technology in the hands of the edge of the health network, you know, GPs out there in the field, and that they could give their feedback and their thoughts and create ideas and challenge one another and coalesce groups, virtual groups around an idea. So that was, that's another uh, really exciting example of our Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, we've got Leslie Stretch. Leslie, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me, Jess. Great to see you. So let's start off with, for people who don't know about Medallia and, you know, I'm looking up $6.7 billion market cap this morning and, and the way you guys are taking the tech world by storm. Can you explain what you guys are doing for, for your customers today? Yeah, so I think Medallia was founded on this central notion, this idea that feedback makes us better. Constant feedback, intelligent feedback makes us better. And so that's the kind of simple central notion that the founders, Amy Pressman and Berger Hald, our founders, two brilliant people, they had this great idea that feedback makes you better. And as they were traveling around the world, they wanted to leave feedback to their travel partners, the hotels that they stayed in, the airlines, the restaurants, and there's just no way to do it. And when you think about it, it's a big problem at scale to capture that feedback. So Medallia was founded to capture that feedback from any signal source at all, understand it, digest it, use a machine, use technology, leverage technology to really get to the heart of what it means. And so that was the whole idea. And now we're known as a leader in voice of customer, voice of employee, voice of patient, voice of citizen, using this whole notion of feedback to make experiences brilliant for customers and citizens and patients. That's what the company's all about. Well, you know, for me, and we talked about this a little bit before the show got started, but I'm fascinated with how you guys have simplified things to the point for people who don't consider themselves techies to be able to take advantage of powerful tools like this. Can you explain just what that can look like for folks? Yeah, this is a very important uh, tenet of the company, you know, is, is to sort of stop technology madness, keep it nice and simple. Because most of our end users, our power users might be working in a store or behind a website. They might be working in a restaurant or a hotel, cabin crew on an airplane. They want to focus on the customer and the customer experience. So our technology has to be light and simple and unobtrusive. And we're always striving to achieve that. But when you think about, you think about a bank or a retailer or an insurance company of scale with millions of customers and tens or in some cases, hundreds of thousands of employees, what our platform does is facilitate that communication in what we call live time at scale. So you can actually hear from customers. You can hear and look at cohorts and look at trends and experiences and make decisions based on that. And the machine does all the work because you can't read the feedback from half a million customers. You can, even from 500 customers, it's hard to do. So let the machine digest it, look for patterns, look for insights, surface those insights, and then turn them into action. So the people that use the system have to almost not see the technology. It has to be light and simple, but behind it, 
there needs to be a very sophisticated platform that can operate efficiently, seamlessly at scale. And that's our biggest strength, I would say. So if I was a Medallia subscriber customer, and I'm getting this feedback from all our folks. What's an action? And am I getting a dashboard? Am I getting a report? What, are the, what does that look like? You can get a dashboard or a report. You can get a video. One of my uh, great customers and it's public, it's all out there over the weekend, posted on LinkedIn, a super piece of video feedback. Anderson Windows, great company in uh, the Twin Cities. And they posted a beautiful piece of video feedback using our technology. What I use most of the time, because I use, I'm in the system all the time. I live in our environment. I use a simple mobile app. It's called Voices. And inside Voices, I'm seeing a stream of already curated customer feedback or employee feedback. I'm looking at my own teams. And these are just streams of comments. The text is analyzed. It's traffic light coded, red, amber, green. So to give me a clue to look for issues, very simple in my uh, on my mobile and carrying it around with me and very powerful. But I have the opportunity when I look at one of those pieces of feedback to respond directly to the customer or employee or to forward the feedback on to somebody that can take action that's relevant to that customer or employee at that point in time. And that's the power of the platform. Well, you've obviously done a good job at it. You got, I'm looking on your customers page on medallia.com here and I see, Airbnb and Bank of America and IBM and Four Seasons and Mercedes-Benz and all these great companies. So what's an example of an action a customer might take because they're getting this feedback from both employees or, or customers? So I can give you lots of examples that, you know, the power is when you actually link together a cohort of customers. So for example, if you're, if you're a bank and you have a mobile banking app and you have the ability to connect with customers from a feedback perspective inside that app, if you imagine you find one customer unable to deposit their pay, paycheck or unable to deposit any kind of check in the mobile app, there's a glitch, there's a problem. Imagine extrapolating that to a cohort of 10,000 or 50,000 customers, that's massive return on investment to uncover that problem straight away. Another great example is if you're a retailer and you, you're sitting on an e-commerce engine that's got 10,000 orders for a pair of jeans and none of it's shipped, the customer, if you have feedback enabled in the website or on the mobile app, the customer can tell you. Again, extrapolate that to a cohort of 10,000 customers and there's massive return on investment, which is why people invest in this technology. This is why they subscribe to Medallia. Just massive return on investment because of that early warning capability. And you just can't put out a survey and read a survey. You can't, humans can't read enough surveys. So use the machine to surface those issues really quickly in what we call, as I say, lifetime. Yeah. Well, you, you've done some pretty impressive things in your career. I'm looking back through your LinkedIn here, time at Oracle and Sun and SAP and, and some pretty uh, fancy organizations. What was it about Medallia that, that you personally wanted to uh, come over and be a part of? Well, you know, that's a huge question for me uh, personally, because I feel in each day that I work today, even through this pandemic, in each day that I work, that everything led to this. Everything's been leading to this. And I'm, you know, I'm not the fastest learner. Maybe it's taken me a long time to get to the peak of my career, but it just feels like everything has led to this. And I ran a public company for 11 years prior to this, and that was a good company. And it was a great mission around the product that I understood that served my old sales discipline. But 
it never felt like this. So it was easy. I was a customer, actually. I'd been using Medallia and I loved the idea of feedback. I even acquired a survey company in my old public company life in order to get involved in customer feedback. And so it was very easy for me. Plus the team, the founder's idea was brilliant. Spending time with the founders and spending time with Sequoia and Doug Leone, who's really just a, uh, a force of nature in the VC community. Spending time with those three really convinced me that I had to get in and, and run the company, take it public and make it a bigger story. And we're only young as public, you know, we're only 18 months out here. This is a young, this is, we're building something uh, very special. It's going to take time. So kind of that's how, that's my, that's my stream of consciousness on that question. I don't know. Uh, I, I, I wasn't prepared for that. So I'm just telling you what I think. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's exactly what I want. You know, speaking of that, just for a minute, you know, I'm fascinated with Sequoia because, you know, I, I have the, my personal net worth has done the big roller coaster, you know, making a lot of money in my early twenties and speculating and losing it all and making it back again and all this kind of stuff. So I became a real devotee of, of Warren Buffett and like compound interest investing, you know, and which naturally would exclude venture capital because so often they're trying to evaluate, you're trying to value a future income stream that doesn't exist yet. Mm. And, and then the one thing that always gives me pause about like writing off venture capital and, and more speculative investments is you look at somebody like a Sequoia, you know, Warren Buffett says, stick to things in your circle of competence, right? Mm. And to be able to get those returns for that many decades in a row, it indicates that it that the world of startups, the world that is typically a kind of a black box to most other folks, it is within their circle of competence or their track record would, rec would recognize that it's in their circle of competence. I'm interested, you know, I, I remember taking some classes at Harvard. They took like a whole venture capital private equity semester and compressed it into one week. So we went to class like seven in the morning to seven at night, right? And Josh Lerner, <laughs> <laughs> kind of famous Harvard professor. He says like, hey, quit being so proud of yourself, guys, that you're in private equity, you know, because I thought I was a big deal. I was in private equity, right? And he's like, as an industry, everything that Sequoia and those guys make, the rest of you lose all of that plus 2%. So the industry <laughs> loses 2%. Now, there are some people that consistently win over and over and over. I'm interested in any insights you have of, of just something that you think maybe Sequoia does different, just in your experience. Yeah, that's great, great, great uh, discussion. First of all, I should thank you for all the investments that you, you, you won on and lost on as well, because without investing, without investing in things that fail, and often it's, it's not a bad idea, it's just the timing of the idea. Without people to do that, and I do that, you know, without people to do that, where would we be? So I think that's important to recognize. I think that, you know, every, every commercially oriented software or every piece of software that's written with some kind of purpose in mind has an ROI. And, and Robert Smith, you know, private equity, Robert Smith actually said that to me because uh, they were always interested in acquiring my old company at Vista. He is a great, great, great and a great leader. And so every soft piece of software has an ROI. You know, the software is Sequoia's, I forget your phrase there, but it, it, is, it is their area of confidence and competence. And they're on a different level. And just look at, just look at the successes, you know, Zoom, Okta, you know, Snowflake, ServiceNow, right? On and on. And so, you know, they know what they're doing. They're brave, you know, they have courage, you know, it's who dares wins, right? And so, and it's, but it's recognizing it at the early stage. I think that's the thing. It's the DNA of 
the entrepreneur, the leader. It's making these bets, which I think is what you're getting at. You know, it's making these bets when there's no customers and no revenue. That's the scary part. And they're they're decent bets too. They're decent size bets. And so I think, but I think the competence in and around the whole Sequoia network is phenomenal. It's been a great asset for us, even for us now as a public company. It's been a great asset, that network and that and that backing and support. And the fact that they have seen it all and you can reach out to somebody in the network who can help you. You've had Eric on your 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 podcast here, which was super. So, you know, that's what distinguishes them for me. And we're very lucky to have them you know, as a partner. Well, what's interesting to me, you know, I remember, you know, when, when Eric Wan, founder of Zoom, came on the show, I was fascinated with his obsession with feedback. You talk about feedback, you know, his initial growth was so powered by his just obsession with feedback from the customers, you know, and he he's like, you know, I met Tony Shea from Zappos and I met some people who are amazing at customer service, right? But Eric impressed me as like the most customer obsessed CEO I'd ever met. And just like his humility to not just assume he knew the answers, but to get to search for feedback and to consider how he might be wrong and how the and the ways the product need to improve from the customer instead of, you know, what most of us do sit around the board table with other senior leaders and decide that we know everything, you know, can you, can you give us one more, can we do another customer story? Can you tell us somebody else, one of your customers that's embraced that, you know, embrace this mindset of feedback and using what they get from Medallia to, to improve their business? Yeah, sure. Sure. I mean, I really like, I always like the Airbnb example because they were one of the pioneers of our video feedback technology, video feedback in that context gives you the ability to actually look at the accommodation, to actually look at the product. So not just to hear from the from the customer's experience, but to actually look at the product. And so that connection is very deep. You know, next week or whenever we have our next board meeting, we will start the meeting with three examples of video feedback from customers, good and bad, three employee, with their permission, of course, three employee videos. We happen to analyze the, the, the voice, so we will turn speech into text and analyze it. Again, traffic light, we'll color code it, red, and and green will look for sentiment, will look for issues and opportunities. But the power is in video because it's unstructured. You know, you're not a survey is very much a human biased tool because you know, someone is asking the questions. We're loading the dice, if you like. Um, when you invite someone to leave a video, it's completely unstructured. It's their feelings and opinion. And so you might not see as many video responses as survey, but the data could be 10 to 10,000 times more potent, you know, if you look at it properly. So that's one of the ones I like. There's so many. We've got, we're really fortunate to have so many great brands on the platform and joining the platform, you know, at a decent clip rate that uh, there's just so many examples uh, of, of the way the customers are using the technology, our ideas technology. We used our idea technology for the National Health Service in the UK to create an idea pool for testing 2020. So how do we make the COVID testing work better? They use the technology to extend out beyond the traditional group of scientific experts that they would talk to. So to put the technology in the hands of the edge of the health network, you know, GPs out there in the field, and that they could give their feedback and their thoughts and create ideas and challenge one another and coalesce groups, virtual groups around an idea. So that was that's another uh, really exciting example of our technology and live use. That's fascinating. So was this the National Health Service in the UK? Is that what you're saying? Or who was yeah. it? 
Yeah, and it's called okay. Testing 2020 was the program. It's all public. You can find it. I think the website's still up there. And so they used our technology. If you think about feedback, ideas are central to feedback. So customer ideas about how to make a product or service better, that's really what they're giving you. They're giving you the benefit of their idea. And the smart, enlightened user of our technology, the corporations that use our technology, or the public sector entities that use our technology, what they're trying to do is to listen very closely to the people that really know what's going on. So their customers right at the edge. And that's, that, that's the power of the idea technology. And so, and just for people to get more of a vision and even for me, so, you know, we, we make shows for, you know, we, we do videos and podcasts for Bloomberg or, or our own, our own media company here. Right. If we, if we wanted to listen more, is this, if we become a subscriber, is this like a, a chat window that's coming up? Is this a form on our website? What does that look like, the actual gathering of it from a more technical point of view? It can be a form. It can be a chat window on the website. It can be a social media capture. It can be somebody leaving a review in, in any, think of any social media channel you like, and we can capture that. We can even cross-check that with direct feedback from customers. We can validate. In fact, that, that's one of the most interesting use cases during the early stage of the pandemic, a large process manufacturer in the Midwest was getting a lot of social media statements about their inability to provide masks or their, they were selling masks to other countries and so on. By capturing that in the Medallia listening capability, social listening capability, that, that customer was able to correct all of that uh, misinformation, all of those misperceptions, correct that because none of it was true. They actually weren't doing that. And so they were actually able to capture that provide evidence that supported their actual activity. So there's just many uh, different ways to leverage this, this technology. I love it. You know, maybe, maybe going a different direction. I'm interested, I've always been on the private side of the investment world, you know, so that the public game can sometimes seem intimidating. There's lots of pressure. There's lots of opinion. There's lots of feedback, whether you want it or not being public, right? So I'm interested for you, you know, you think about, you know, an organization like yours that is drastically changing industry and where often the, the criticism of public company investors is short-term thinking, quarterly thinking, you know, and, and obviously there's folks like a Jeff Bezos or whoever, who tried to condition their investors to say, Hey, no, we're like, this isn't a fully baked thing that we're just harvesting for a number of years. We're continuing to grow this. Yeah. But, you know, he's kind of more the exception than the rule as far as as far as that. So I'm interested in how you just what philosophy you bring to leading a, a company that's growing and evolving and and improving in a, you know, in, in a market where there's a lot of short term thinking and, and not everybody is going to bring that kind of vision. Yeah, well, I think this is a great topic of discussion because you have a choice, we whether to be public or not. And then look at the choices you have today. You can, you don't even have to get to the, you know, the rigor of a, of a great public company to be public. You can reverse into a SPAC or whatever, you know, but it's incredible. For me personally, I'm 14 years public company CEO, but prior to that, I worked for public companies, fortunately, a couple of very successful public companies. And so it's kind of, it's, I, I like it because I think it keeps you absolutely straight and focused. The, the, the right thing though is, is if you build the company for the, around a framework of metrics that is relevant to a certain group of investors at a certain time, you're probably not building it for, you know, to match the vision of your customers. And so actually the compass point that we follow is our customer roadmap. 
using our own feedback. I mean, that's that's our compass point. We're listening to them. We back we back up that listening with much more intimate engagement with a small group of customers. We we just did 25 of the top brands in the US at a four-hour Zoom. Who sits on a four-hour Zoom? But a four-hour Zoom for our US customer advisory board, you know, a who's who of great brands across industry. But all of them have been using the platform. And what we want to do is distill the feedback to the core elements of our roadmap. But we have a great board at Medallia. And I was talking to Rob Bernstein, who's the CEO of Cooper, who's on that, fortunate enough to have on our board. And I like the way he thinks about this, which is, you know, build the company and focus on the metrics that are long-term important to you. What's important to us is certainly growing our recurring revenue. That's We have that in common with every investor. But just about all the other metrics are kind of, you know, they're important, but, but they're not as important as growing the pool of feedback and growing the signal capture that we're interested in. So not just survey, but digital, mobile, voice, video, ideas, messaging, on and on. You know, IoT signals. We're interested in that entire spectrum of information. We love, we're absolutely huge consumers of data. We love data. We love looking at new signals, new insights, contrarian insights, counterintuitive insights. That's what drives us. And so really what investors should be concerned about with Medallia is, is our feedback pool expanding and growing? Are we getting, capturing more and more feedback? Are our customers that use our product getting a better net promoter score? Are they closing the loop with their customers more? Are they getting a better digital experience score? These, these things plus the recurring revenue really are all that matter, Jess, right? Or everything else is short term. But you know, I've done very well supporting and working with and listening to a great pool of public investors who I've been fortunate enough to have through two public companies now. And I don't know when they get in and out of the stock. I don't care. And I don't actually watch the stock. And the company is not the stock and the stock is not the company. It never is. And people often make that mistake. But really, that's what we're looking for, that longer term perspective, not uh, to excuse any short term bad performance because enter the public market and you have to have a good quarterly story. But I agree with the view that it's, it's many people come to the table thinking, oh, this is baked and now we're going to harvest it. I'm not interested in that. We're interested in using the platform as a platform to expand and innovate and learn and create more and more and more and more value. If in the end that makes us a bigger, more valuable company, that would be superb. But that's what we're really interested in is using the public platform to expand and do more for our customers. You know, that's, that's an interesting perspective. I don't think I've heard anybody describe it like that, but I, I enjoy that perspective. You know, I'm going to try and repeat it back to you a bit or see, tell you what I got from it and you, you correct me, okay? So I heard, treat it like a feedback loop. Treat it like additional information to improve your decision making, you know, th these investors' choices. And at the same time, don't let the tail wag the dog. Keep your eye on the things that you know are the most important for the long term and, and maybe kind of recognize that not everybody else will recognize that at times. And, and at the same time, don't, don't like give yourself a pass when you shouldn't, you know, like, you know, like you're in the big leagues, you got to keep your eye on the ball. Like it's, it's a long-term focus is not an excuse for short-term lack of discipline. How would you say that better? Did I, did I get pretty close? You did it better, said it better than I did. <laughs> I think it's interesting. You know, I think, you know, at least in my community, there's a lot of whining about public investors and they don't catch the vision and their, yeah. their short-termness. 
But I also think that there is too many folks that identify as our stock price is our company. Mm. And you're right, it's not. It's just a current, it's a current set of opinions, which is rapidly fluctuating, right? That's right. That's right. I mean, the public investor is not an enemy. Public investor is good. They're putting their money or a pensions fund's money to work with you. They're expressing confidence in you and they are hoping to make a turn or, uh, you know, and do very well. So I think you should make peace with that if you want to be public. So I, I, I understand, I understand that I see some trepidation of people coming to public. And by the way, this manifests in a structure, a shareholder structure that is quite unfriendly. It often manifests in a dual class of shares. I've run two companies. I would not have run either of them if there was a dual class of share in place. I think dual class shares are, are investor unfriendly. I, I, they're there because people want to be allowed to make mistakes and not suffer any consequences. I don't think that's right. I've never agreed with it. You know, I just happen to be in that position where I'm running a company that doesn't have a dual class of shares because we had a very enlightened founder group in the company. We want to be the same on the same level as our public investors. So I was very happy. I was very keen to get this company out in public. It had been private for a long time. And the public markets over the long term will serve you well. You know, my, my next question, I think, is there are so many folks that are embracing the, the, the intelligence, the knowledge we can get by gathering more data and then simplifying it enough to be usable, right? Kind of classically a, a criticism of big data is, wow, we've got a lot to do. We've got a lot of it. Now what, right? But, you know, there's, there's the Qualtrics out there. There's other folks that are, that are in similar realms. I'm interested in, in addition to keeping your eye on the prize, what's value to customer, how do you think through the combination of innovation and differentiation? So I think it goes back to this customer roadmap idea. Our marketplace has a lot of people who believe in feedback and want to be in the feedback analysis business. They're really in the survey business and the market research business. And it's quite different. And it's a good business, by the way. You can grow a great business if you're really great at surveys and market research. But your company profile is different. You know, our average selling price is quite high still. It's probably too high still. When I joined the company, it was in the high 800s annual subscription to be a member of the Medallia Club. Just too much, frankly. But we were serving big enterprises who were getting great returns. We're now in a position where we can position our technology cost-effectively with any size of company, even a small gym, a small restaurant or a hotel tiny businesses. We can do that now and it's cost effective to them. And we give them the world beyond the survey, digital voice, ideas, video, and so on, the things we talked about. So nobody else has video today. Nobody else has voice today. We own the IP there. Nobody has the in-memory processing technology that's proprietary to us that captures all of that information at scale. And nobody has the combination. And there are things we're working on now that no one will have. And so, and where does it all come from? It comes from customers. You know, the video example was customers already using the technology. So we acquired it. You know, we build as much as we buy. But I think that innovation is really important and highly personal to the company in a way. I think that we have found there's just, it's so easy if you're listening closely to the right customers. It, it's not a big mystery, you know? And I think it's, I think part that's, you go back to your question about uh, Sequoia their ability to recognize ideas that have never been put into practice, but have promise. 
is really unique, I think. And I think that we have to bring some of that DNA to the way we look at building out the platform. We have so many ideas in the company, but of course we use our own technology. We use our idea technology as cold crowdicity to create challenges. So one employee, one person, one medallion can create a challenge that exposes their idea. Others can chime in and through that interaction, synthesize an idea that we can embody in software. And so to me, that's the most fun aspect of this. And it's always, it makes it, it's kind of quite good when someone really disrespects your idea and challenges <laughs> it and kind of puts it down. When I go back to my Robert Smith quote, you know, all software has an ROI. You just have to find it, you know? Well, what I'm hearing there that I really like is that, and, and it, you know, this isn't a shocker, but this idea that innovation comes from that interaction with the customer because I think almost all of us leaders would say that's what we do. But if we're honest or if somebody was videotaping us, a lot of it is no innovations or changes or improvements come because somebody saw on our competitor's website that they're doing this. And so we probably should too, yeah. right? And hmm. how often do we all follow our competitors around yeah. instead of following our customers around? Even though we say we follow our customers around, do we really, or do we come up with the next product because our competitor did? You know, I think it's... I think it's something that all of us could probably, you know, maybe ha have a hard look in the mirror at, right? Well, well uh, this is a big theme for me. I haven't read many business books, but there's a book, and I can't recall the author. We could really find who the author is. It's the, and I, I'm, 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 someone's going to think I'm a complete, uh, uh, you know, you know, idiot now. But look, there's this book, Discipline of Market Leaders. I don't know who the author is. They, in the book, the point is made very clearly, and I've thought about this a lot that. If you focus on the competition, you know, my job is to get my competitors to focus on me. And we'll go and buy something or build something and release it. And the first thing we'll hear from our competitors is, those guys don't know what they're doing. It's another crazy idea. The next minute, we're making money from it. And so if you focus on the competitor, the best you can be is as good as the competitor. And actually, to your point, we have one competitor who recently said they had reached functional parity with Medallia. They had reached functional parity with Medallia. And I thought, what a shame for them because we moved on since then. And why focus on the, on the competitor? Focus on the customer. Focus on the voice of customer, the voice of employee. And these voices will transform your future, not what the competitor is doing. So I never look to a competitor for a, an idea. It's a mistake. It's a huge issue. And I wish I could remember who wrote that book because that has been central to my career in the last 14 years. You know who it is? <laughs> I, just I just looked it up. Uh, the Discipline of Market Leaders, Michael Tracy and Fred Weersma, which I'm, I'm sure I'm pronouncing those last names incorrectly. And I, I just did the send the free sample to my Kindle so I can so I can check it out, get it, my, get it for myself. That's a great recommendation. I'm looking forward to that one. Well, listen, you've been so generous with your time here. I know we're winding down a little bit. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm interested, you know, there's so many folks that are maybe a bit more ambitious and they're trying to accomplish things in their lives and they don't become CEOs of six and a half billion dollar companies. When, when you think about, when you think about what you've done different, you know, that's, that's helped you achieve what you achieved. What do you, what do you think you've done different in your career? Well, we touched on one right there, which is, it, it's so tempting. And, and, and I go back to, it was, it was, I can't remember, as the CEO of Intel at one point, it said only the paranoid survive. Who was, he wrote the book, only the paranoid survive. Andy Grove. Andy Grove. And thank you. And so, and I get that, but being in a paranoid state is not a very good way to interface with the world. And so I do 
I am paranoid about competition and I hate, it's almost physically painful to me to lose, to lose a customer or a deal. But I'm focused on the customer. We've got to focus on them and our employees. They're going to tell us, they're going to set the compass points that mo are most important to us and our investors. All of the, those constituents are going to help us form a fabulous company if we're prepared to put in our lifeblood and energy into it. And so that's a central one for me. But you know, I'm not really satisfied with where we are in terms of our value or progress. I'd like us to be worth 100 billion. I'd like us to really show the world what feedback can mean. That's where I, so I'm, I'm perennially dissatisfied and disgruntled with my own performance. I'm sure others are too, but I, you know, I really want us to do better, but that's probably a central one for me. And then I've learned as well to work with people, it's taking, I, uh, my wife will tell you, I'm a slow study. She got a first class degree. I, I didn't, I'm sort of the dunce of the family, but it's taken me a while, Jess, to understand you want to work with people who cannot help, but be emotionally invested in the idea and in the business. If your top team are all emotionally invested, they always win over time. And so that's the second thing. So discipline and market leaders focus on customers, not competition work with people who are emotionally invested and persist and understand. And you know, you know, Silicon Valley is full of 40 year, 30 year overnight successes. You know, in 2001 or something, it was something like 45,000 companies recorded a, an A round of funding. Only 75 of those companies made it to the public markets. And so not all of them were failures that were acquired and there's all great things that happened. And so persistence, and really staying with it day to day. And then lastly, you know, management and performance management is really a bad discipline for companies. Performance management is, is not delivered for companies. It's not fair to people. And I think we're pretty open as a management team. You know, we, we're very open with our colleagues and I see them all as peers and I see them as people that I work for. And I'll pretty much tell them anything that they want to know about the company or its direction if they ask. And I, I don't see that as, as being that openness as being prevalent in every company. And when you say performance management, do you mean like annual reviews or what, what is that? What's in that category for you? 360 degree review, annual review, quarterly review, you know, you didn't numbers based review versus. So for me, the value of a leader is in their ability to coach. Right. Anyone can tell someone. I, I've worked with managers. I've had managers that work for me who are brilliant at telling me who's done a good job and who's done a bad job. And they always believe if they just recruit that special person, they'll they'll find winners. And actually, their job isn't any of that. Their job is to take people, often average people with average backgrounds, and turn them into high performers. It's to coach them. You know, Tom Brady was coached to brilliance. He wasn't just nat. He was probably naturally talented. But, you know, those guys talk about their coaches. And I, I'm not a big sports analogy guy at all. But in business, we've had performance management. Coaches are what we need. We need people who, can, who are domain experts, process experts that can help you, can help you write a program, can help you win a deal. Or they're brilliant wingmen and women. They can just provide fabulous coaching and moral support and feedback. And so that's, and feedback, you know, you want to give feedback a lot. You want to have lots of feedback so people are comfortable with it. They're comfortable with the framework and what you're saying. It's much more important than performance management, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, it does. I really became a nerd for the the deliberate practice science that, you know, this guy Anders Ericsson 30 years ago figured out, you know, the previous 400 years of brain science were wrong, that, you know, this party brain does this, this party brain does that. Once you're an adult, that's pretty much set. It's not very flexible or plastic anymore. And, you know, he, he essentially scientifically showed that meaningful repetitions outside of a comfort zone with a feedback loop literally re rewire the brain. I mean, probably the most dramatic example is was UK cab drivers, you know, when they did these brain scans, and they showed, you know, arguably the the hardest ca cab driving job in the world. I mean, I think it passed takes like three, three and a half years to even pass the test to yeah. become, you know, you have to, like, there's only two cities where I don't rent cars when I fly. and It's Manhattan and, and London, right? So, you know, when they did these brain scans, and they literally show that the part of the brain that deals with spatial awareness has become physically enlarged after years of being a UK cabbie. And then years after being a cabbie, it's not as enlarged anymore, right? And, and they show that, you know, expert violinists, the part of the brain that controls the motor skills for their left hand, that part of the brain becomes enlarged as it's almost like our muscles. Like when we go to the gym and do the same workout, our muscles don't get bigger. But when we, we try something hard outside the comfort zone and we've got a feedback loop to know how to improve it, mm -hmm. the brain grows myelin sheath around those neural connections. And instead of electrical impulse going at two or three miles an hour, it can go at two or 300 miles an hour, right? Mm -hmm. And so the thing that's so interesting to me, and, and we've talked about it a lot in this, you've, you've brought it up over and over here, is this idea that practice doesn't make perfect. I mean, how, like, there, how many people do you know that have been driving for 20 years? You wouldn't call them an expert driver, right? I, <laughs> I've been typing my whole adult career. I'm not that much of a faster typer than I was 20 years ago, right? But if I was to have a good feedback loop of how many words per minute am I typing right now? Mm -hmm. And I was intentionally trying to push myself I could get better, right? Yeah. Well, how many of us companies, we tell ourselves our customers love us. We tell ourselves our employees love working here, but we're not actually on a regular basis getting that feedback loop in any kind of consistent manner for constant improvement. Yeah. I don't know. I was a bit of a monologue for me, but any any reactions to that? I think the feedback piece is, is obviously central to our business. And so part of our selling camp, when we're selling our solution is educating management, often CEO, C-level executives about the value of this rewiring of the corporate brain. Look, I'm a huge fan of the knowledge, which is what you were talking about, the London cab drivers. So I used to live in London. And when people would visit me, I took great pride in doing little knowledge exercises. So I'd say, where do you want to go? Pentonville prison to King's Cross, or where do you want to go? And people would say, especially people from the States, because I would drive around a lot of execs from the US when I was an Oracle. Son, I always would go instead of having them have a driver because I'd get the windshield time and I'd learn from them. But I could, I, could, I reckon a while ago, probably not now because of the phenomenon you describe, I could have done the knowledge because I, I, I love London. It's my favorite city in the world and I can drive anywhere in London. And so I totally get that. And I understand how the mind expands. It's, it's fascinating. But that is the role of our technology. And if you talk to our most invested customers, they're all in on that idea. They're all in that every day there's another new direction or new idea in this pool of feedback data. Employee is interesting because that's been an area that's been served by the 360 degree annual review. You know, honestly, it's it's 20th century. It might be 19th. There's nothing new about that. We need something much more comfortable, much safer space that's in live time where we can really listen and talk to our colleagues. The people that are emotionally invested in the company and our customers the way that we are, 
we need to be able to talk and listen at scale. And those technologies, those old survey technologies, they just don't do it. I love it. Well, this has been a really fun interview for me. Besides people going to medallia.com, if they want to connect with you, is it is LinkedIn probably the best place or how should they do that? Yeah, sure. LinkedIn works. It's all good. And, you know, just reach out and we're open to discussions and dialogues with everybody. And, you know, it's all good fun. I've enjoyed uh, your questions and it's been great talking to you and great to meet you. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. Congratulations on all the success. Thank you.